0: Aerial view with
1: Chris live and
0: <laughs> times talk radio
1: Friday,
0: 6 p.m. East time. Call seven six zero four two two
1: five five two eight. The <laughs> You have a podcast? Oh yeah, I invented them. Man, man, camera, TV, camera, TV. They say, they say that's
0: a How you do? Slave, have Chris. Let him
1: have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it. Chris.
0: Button, for everything. You're listening to Aerial View, worldwide on the internet. It's <makes noise> so <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've heard his voice on the and really put the hook in my heart. many, many times <laughs> on both the White and the Homesteaders. i stayed in New Jersey, let not care who you
0: are. get of I'm sick of talking. I've yeah. to talk. You i to people. That's clear. <laughs> have this man go on the air deliver a coded message. Yes, sir, you're out of mind. not out of my mind. Oh, come on, Now We're gonna listen to what he said. on the air. Because all we're dealing with here, after all... Threatment time ...against a man's life. I don't see you that... Push, push way, I can see you're really upset about this. Yes,
1: street
0: i'm okay get the f- person, I'm you my i don't get you i don't get your act Man, at all and Kemba, i don't think, you, do I don't think you know what you're TV. trying to do or how to go about so, so, it so, really i you're stupid. heard it over the radio real so, stupid i'm not just talking about one person i'm talking about everybody i'm
1: talking about form i'm talking about content i'm talking about interrelationships i'm talking about god the devil hell heaven do you understand Talk you, you will you not take me over <laughs> here from now over any other speechless i'll take my voice wherever I please! I'm a famous radio personality now. Most people today couldn't care less about the radio personality. I couldn't agree with you more. He's always talking about some radio star that I've never heard of. You don't know, like my stories? You don't have to listen to my program. Okay. Listen to the radio. Find out what's going on. Listen to the talk shows, and you will find out what's going on. Oh, hmm. talk Radio? Yes, talk radio. It's so boring, man. Okay. okay. The cards is just, just made suicide. I
0: have an idea now. I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Come on, baby. <laughs> Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! <laughs>
1: it's showtime! <laughs>
0: won't you smile while we make kiss for this one? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. On the radio audience.
1: Very auspicious beginning. Sure, a talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes
0: he agrees with the caller. Other times he sets him straight. Trick
1: treat. Smell our feet. Give us something good to eat. This <laughs> is. Come on, give it some candy. Don't pretend you're not home. Dad, that's our house. She's a witch! Get her!
0: Let's get to the Halloween party. I want to hit the apple tank before all the Granny Smiths are bobbed out.
1: Yeah, you hags, you're all right. Ghosts scare me.
0: I promise you, darling, there's no ghosts around here, so you're safe. That's
1: good, because I hate ghosts. They're spooky. And I don't respond well to spooky behavior. Of course. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started. Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil. Evil!
0: The man is unfit.
1: Pretty soon. I know how to talk to people. I know how to talk to people. I've been doing it for many, many years here on Aerial View. This program got underway first in 1989. Holy shit. Let me see if I can do the math. It's like 31 years ago. Oh my own, Mingye. Has it really been that long? I've been talking into a microphone, trying to make myself understood, trying to explain. My former shrink, Sheila, the one who has Alzheimer's, one of the smartest people I ever met, ever knew, ever had the pleasure to work with. On me, we were working on me. So I would keep passing the open windows. And I am quite a project, let me tell you. I am fucked up. I've been fucked up all my life. I know I'm fucked up. You're fucked up too. In a different way. And the only way to get unfucked... there's a few paths. I believe in talk therapy. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing a talk show. As long as I've been doing one. And now doing it here. On The Hound. NYC.com. Where uh, every Sunday at three PM Eastern time, Hound Howls happening live, live, live. And then crashing the party. Mark and Miriam, the doo-wop chop shop of the year. You got those doo-wops on vinyl. Tonight I could see that seven people are listening to this show and other people might not admit that, might not own up to it. They might think Isn't that pathetic? Seven listeners. I'm just grateful for you seven. One of them's probably Sweet Tea, so it's really sick. Hell, one of them might be me, because I am monitoring the show. I'm grateful for you five people. What can I say? I think there's more people listening to this as a podcast. Maybe they don't know that it's done as a live programming. As live programming. Maybe they don't know that. I don't know if I want to disavow them. But it is live, and you can call 760-422-5528. we got a few minutes. Anyway, before we welcome Professor Ken Katkin back to the show. Ken has been on several times. I like to call him Ken because we go way back. But he's been on several times. Before, he's a professor of law at uh, Northern Kentucky University, the Chase College of Law. And uh, he specializes, he teaches and writes in the area of constitutional law and communication law, legislation, federal jurisdiction, and entertainment law even. And he's been at uh, that particular college for 20 years now. Wow. Tenured. I, I'm, I'm willing to bet tenured. Uh, He's published articles all over the goddamn place, including in the Case Western Reserve Law Review, Nebraska Law Review, Vanderbilt Journal of Transnational Law, Northern Kentucky Law Review, Kentucky Bench and Bar Journal. ABA insights on law and society. His family must have cared for him. They must have said, can go get an education. My family said, Chris, get a job at the post office. You'll have a pension to the extent of the career advice I received. The number here again is 760 5528 760 760-I-CALL-AV. And in just a few, I'm going to call Professor Katkin. And uh, we'll chat about the ruthless Supremes. Ruth Bader Ginsburg famously, as you all know by now, could not make it over the finish line. Died just shy... Of this election, and uh, the Republicans rammed through Amy Coney Island Barrett because she really should be at Coney Island, and uh, she's already ruled, I believe, on a case. Man, it was that—it's f- like head-spinningly fast. My head is spinning, and I've been trying to figure out been trying to put my finger on I mean trying to discover just what the hell has been going on with me these last few weeks there's any number of things going on there's what they call the externalities and then i guess the internalities is that what you would call it and uh externalities include this bullshit with the supreme court ramming through this Woman from the Federalist Society who's really like uh, that thing, that alien that pops out of John Hurt's chest. An alien, you know, she's just put on the Supreme Court to eliminate a woman's right to choose. And if you uh, don't think that that will happen, keep dreaming, as they used to say. Uh, Also, any number of other things that the Republicans would like, because that's what she's there. She's a she's a handmaid of the Republicans. She's a handmaiden. She's in some Catholic. Outsider group, whatever the hell you call a Catholic fringe group, Catholic tribute band. I don't know what to call it that she's in. but You know, that women are the handmaidens of their husbands. Uh, It's just you're not supposed to talk about it. You're not supposed to point it out. You're not supposed to say what? I think it's completely valid to point it out and say what? I'm doing, I'm doing a double take over here. Got my head spinning. I want out of here. This bites. Oh God! They should have never given me the Hanna Barbera sound effects. Should have never done it. So let's uh, take a look at the news for just a minute. Upside down update before we get to, uh, Professor Katkin in over here. Just, I'm going to just blindly head over to the front page of the New York Times to see what's been happening since I started the show. I would like to think that if there's breaking news during the program, I'll know about it. Uh, but all I'm seeing is a bunch of text flying back and forth. Hey, maybe that's news. I should look at these texts. Maybe. No, here's what's on the front page of the news. Uh, a lot of stuff about the a lot of stuff about the election coming up on Tuesday. Biden and Trump barnstorm the Midwest as election day nears, barnstorming. I hope Biden's in a biplane. Oh my God, that would be so cool. Biden in a biplane. It makes perfect sense. I mean, Trump's got Marine One. He's got the helicopter. He could helicopter down. Maybe Vic Morrow somebody on the way down. That'll be the next thing that happens. It'll be like, you know chopper will land blades will dip down some supporter will run towards the thing and just get decapitated and they'll they'll be like eh it'll just be another shrug like everything else everything else that's happened over the last four years i do feel like uh what is it a frog being boiled in water it's not a lobster right that expression Where, you know, you just, they turn up the temperature so imperceptibly that you don't perceive it. Next thing you know, you're a boiled fucking frog. And that's, that's America. That's America to me. And honestly, sometimes in my darker moments, I get scared. I get scared for the future of this country. If he wins. Oh my God, I'm especially scared. There was something in The Atlantic, I I couldn't even bring myself to click on it, about his paths to victory. I said, isn't that, wait a minute, isn't that a Kubrick movie? Didn't that have Timothy Carey in it? I just find it interesting that my that voice, the thinking voice, whatever that voice is, is a few octaves higher than my regular voice. Wasn't that the one with Kirk Douglas? Uh, we lost another uh, great one. Billy Joe Shaver passed away this week. 2020 continues to suck balls. Jerry Jeff Walker. I'm wondering who else in the country music world with three names? We're gonna, gonna, have, to, gonna have to really send some good thoughts out too. In these remaining weeks. Let's call Ken Katkin. I can't take the news anymore. Oh, wait a minute. One more piece of news. This one I got to tell you. And maybe I should share this with Ken. Let me try calling Ken. I think that's Ken. Hey, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, can
1: you hear me? Yeah, you're kind of low. A little low. Does that, does little, that help? A little low. Uh, how about, yeah. How about yeah, yeah. now? No, that's better. It's getting okay. better. Thank you. Let me share some news with you. Just because I was about to close the newspaper when I saw this item. It involves Little Wayne. Do you know this news that I'm referring to? Ken Katkin?
0: No, I'm hearing an echo, though. Are you hearing it? No. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh... I got to figure out what's going on. Maybe, oh, I got to shut. I know, because I'm listening to the radio. Let me shut that you off. You did that last time. Okay. Yeah, I was one of your seven listeners. Man, like, you are like an me.
1: absent-minded professor, literally.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now I can hear you. All right. Hi,
1: Chris. Hi, how are you? So, uh, little Wayne, the news involves little Wayne. Do you know the news I'm referring to?
0: No, Is he? I'm going to guess. Is he one of these rappers who's supporting Trump? That's an excellent guess. How did you do that? I knew about Fifty Cent, and I heard there was a uh, um, uh, you know that uh, they were trying to do that. Wait, Fifty
1: Cent is supporting Donald Trump? Yes, he is. What? ever and fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I really don't get it.
0: You know, my thought about Fifty Cent—I didn't—I hadn't heard about Little Wayne, but Fifty Cent explained uh, why he was um, supporting Trump, and uh, he said that um, even though he knows that Trump doesn't like black people, and that in fact Trump's a racist. Uh, he's nonetheless supporting Trump because uh, Biden would raise his taxes from, I guess, 37% to 39%, and Trump won't, and that's more important to him. And what, you know, Chris, what that made me think was, I wish all the people in the 99% would would think the same way that that, that 50 cent and other people in the one percent are thinking that they would all put class solidarity ahead of of race solidarity. Um, the, the way the way the way 50 Cent is doing and then only we'll see how the election comes out. Well, uh, that's uh, uh, good luck with that.
1: Uh, the the rest of us, the 99 percent uh, have been riven by Fox News and all the usual suspects right on down. Uh, you know, I, I just watched I binged on it because they were going to take it off. Uh, I guess October 31st, it was going to be removed, which is the loudest voice. The mini series about Roger Ailes that was on Showtime. And I, initially I was like, Russell Crowe as Roger Ailes in a fat suit. No. But then I watched it and it was really good. And and it really dives into like just how pivotal Roger Ailes has been. To the, you know, the the destruction of this nation as far as I'm concerned. Just the this idea, this thing that Joe Biden is barnstorming about now. He's going around talking about how we need to come together as a nation again. And we can't exist like this. And we're the United States. And I'm also like, you know, good luck with that, Joe. Good luck with that project. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of hope uh, for the... I mean, I, I hope he wins. I'm still hoping he wins. And I think he will win. I think it'll be ugly. um, But I think he'll hang on and win. And I think the Senate will go Democratic as well. I think I think if you kill this many Americans through your incompetence, people aren't necessarily going to give you the job again. Maybe 50 cent because his mind is on his money and his money's on his mind. Little Wayne, why is Little Wayne endorsing him? Is it the same reason? I don't know. I didn't even read the article. Do we care? Yeah,
0: I hadn't heard it. <roof> All
1: right. I don't know if I care.
0: Yeah, um, I, hadn't, but, I hadn't heard that Little but he, Wayne was, but I had heard that the Trump campaign was... Ex- 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 they had a specific um, uh, agenda to try to get some, some African-American rap artists to... Um, endorse him and if they could just get a handful they could make it look like it was a, a trend of some sort well,
1: the picture of him with little wayne is really
0: uh, of
1: donald trump little wayne is really really disturbing and he's got 35 million followers on twitter little wayne uh, he yeah. met with him the photos went viral uh, n- not only 50 cent but ice cube as well Yeah, I think
0: Ice Cube's been talking out of both sides of his mouth about that. Like, I think he's said some things that allowed Trump to say that Ice Cube had endorsed Trump. And then Ice Cube also said that he hadn't endorsed Trump. So it's hard to know what's going on there.
1: And then, of course, there was Kanye West visiting the Oval Office and losing his mind therein. And it just
0: it's all just probably he's probably doing more than any of those other artists to help Trump because Kanye got himself on the ballot in a number of states. And I think the obvious purpose there is to try to get some African-American voters to vote for him, you know, who would otherwise vote probably for Biden, right? Like if African-American voters generally don't want to vote for Trump. So I I feel like Kanye's up to some real mischief there in terms of helping Trump by trying to sap away some votes from Biden.
1: I feel like uh, there's a room somewhere deep in a, you know, underground bunker where the GOP strategizes all the different ways they're going to cheat. Didn't they get caught cheating to put him on a ballot somewhere as
0: well? Yeah. In Wisconsin, he missed the deadline and uh, um, there was he only missed it by about 10 minutes, but he did miss it. And uh, um, these Republicans that were in charge of the board of elections try to, um, you know, basically keep the board of elections open until his lawyer got there. And his lawyer, by the way, was the lawyer who is the head of the Republican Party of Wisconsin. So it's it's very clear that they're the ones putting him up to being on these ballots. Wisconsin,
1: I'm talking to you for just a minute. I mean, Wisconsin's really disappointing me. It's just a viral hotspot now. There is now we're back to this thing where the hospitals are getting overwhelmed and and the coronavirus is ripping through Wisconsin and other places. Well, not just Wisconsin, but Wisconsin always mentioned in any real discussion about swing states in this country and where the battlegrounds are, Green Bay, the area around Green Bay, is really an interesting area because they're all up in Fox News's ass, and they're very, they're very much behind Donald Trump, and and I, I'm tired of this, Ken. I'm, I'm tired of every four years I got to think about Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, sometimes
0: Ohio as well. How are things in, in Ohio now? you know it's it's I, I live in ohio i'm talking to you from ohio but it's it's hard for me to get a sense of the whole state because the county that i live in hamilton county which is the city of cincinnati um has is one of those counties where all, the whole city and all the suburbs have gone blue like biden's just winning overwhelmingly here and so you'd, you'd really get the sense from around here that you know it's gonna it's gonna be so easy for ohio to go biden but there's a lot of rural counties in this state. There's 88 counties in the state. You know, fewer than a dozen of them are rural or suburban. And, uh, um, you know, I think the, the I'm not in those places, but I, I think it's a very different scene there.
1: Wow. Well, you know, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that because there's other areas in this country where, you know, it's kind of purple, but it's not quite blue yet. And we're sitting here wondering if Texas might go Democratic this time out. We're wondering, by the way, more votes have been cast in Texas right now than were uh, even up to the election, like on election day. So we're already, this is October 30th. The election's a few days away. They've already had more votes cast by, uh, you know, absentee and early and mail-in ballots. Now, I, I've been trying to not open these articles and read them when they pop up. But the one that I had to read, because one of the most distressing things about the last few Weeks is the death, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her final words. I mean, it's just so touching and sad. And it's just, it just reveals the inhumanity at the heart of the Republican Party currently that her dying wish is to not put another justice on the Supreme Court until after the election. And they're like, ah, fuck your dying wish. You know, fuck it. Because we don't give a shit. We only care about wielding absolute power absolutely and we all know absolute power corrupts absolutely and so mitch mcconnell rammed through amy coney island barrett and and now uh, the woman is what 46 47 we we could be with
0: her she could be on that court for 40 years isn't that possible Yeah. yeah she she may well be and it's uh um it's appalling were you, did this, uh, because I, I, I mentioned earlier about, uh,
1: the constitutional law that you teach and yeah, yeah. the other types of law you teach. And so, I mean, is this something that we haven't seen before this turnaround in what nine days or whatever it was, it was some, did they set a record seating her on the court?
0: Probably. I, I can't be certain about the 19th century, but this would certainly be a 20th and 21st century record for, for speed. Um, yeah, it it you know it couldn't have happened until very recently, because the the Senate um, has a filibuster rule generally, and that filibuster rule has always applied to Supreme Court nominations um, uh, before. So the minority party could have slowed these things down or or even blocked them before, as um, uh, as has happened sometimes in recent memory. Um, but when uh, when when um, President Trump nominated uh, Neil Gorsuch to take the seat. Um, that had been held open uh, since Justice Scalia died, the one that President Obama nominated Merrick Garland for, um, and the Dems did uh, start a filibuster of that, uh, the Republicans broke the filibuster rule. So it's only been since 2017 um, that it would even be possible to, to speed through um, uh, any kind of uh, nomination this quickly. When you say broke the filibuster
1: rule, did they remove it? Did they ignore it because it's a rule and it's yeah, no, not, they literally
0: broke it actually. Broke so it. I could tell you how that worked. Um, they never, they never removed it. It's still there. Um, so they literally broke it. Uh, but but the way this works is, the filibuster rule says that um, if, if senators want to keep uh, debating and not let something come up for a vote, whether it's legislation or whether it's a nomination, um, then uh, um, whoever wants to keep talking can keep talking. And if the, uh, if, if, if the other senators want, want, want cloture, which means just to stop the talking and bring something up to a vote, they need 60 votes for that. So normally what that would mean is, um, unless there's a 60 vote majority that wants to bring something to a vote, then a, a 41 member minority could stop it from coming up to, for a vote. Now the way they actually broke it, because um, they never had the votes to change it, um, was uh, when, when the Dems um, started filibustering Gorsuch, um, uh, McConnell, um, who runs the Senate, Senator McConnell from Kentucky, um, he, 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 um, he ruled that a, a cloture motion could be um, uh, completed on just a simple majority. That's just contrary to what the rule actually says. So what happens when that uh, happens is that there's a parliamentarian and they can ask the parliamentarian for a ruling. And the parliamentarian said, well, the rule says that um, unless there's 60 votes for cloture, the filibuster can continue. Uh, But then McConnell says to the whole Senate, well, I don't think the parliamentarian's ruling is right. So let's take a vote on whether to overrule the parliamentarian's ruling. And that's something they could do on a simple majority. So that's actually how they broke the rule, that the the simple uh, majority voted that the parliamentarian had misinterpreted the rule.
1: What did the parliamentarians say in response? To the parliamentarians say anything? I mean, with the, Well, what, they don't
0: argue back. I mean, yeah. they make a ruling, and then it's up to the Senate to overrule them or not. Couldn't they do that with a lot of other stuff? I mean, it, how specious is that to say, yeah, you just misinterpreted it? That's yeah. not what I mean. Well, it, it is specious, but it is done. And to be fair, I'll say that the Dems had done that before, because when President Obama was president, the Republicans wouldn't give him votes on any of his cabinet appointments to his own cabinet. So. President Obama couldn't staff his own executive branch. And, uh, um, and so Harry Reid, in fact, pulled a similar maneuver uh, back then. So, so when the Republicans did it, you know, they could fairly say it had been done before. Uh, but also that's the, that's the mechanism that a lot of people are saying the Dems should use um, soon to change the number of justices on the Supreme Court that would actually be the same way to to get that done and and stop it from being so explain
1: that because this article that caught my eye and I sent it to you was opinion, several opinion pieces in the New York times a few days ago about how to fix the Supreme court. Yeah. With uh, Six editorials on just that subject. uh, I'll just go through them quickly. Uh, Create a new court give justices term limits, don't let the court choose its cases, threaten to pack the courts, pack the courts, expand the lower courts, and keep the courts the same. Those are the editorial pieces and argument of these six different things that you could possibly do. So
0: what did you think of all that, and and what was nearest and dearest to your heart? Well, actually, I got my own seventh idea, I guess, which I think is much better than any of those six. But if you want, I can explain those ideas, or if you want, I can start with my idea. No, uh, start with your idea, and then we'll you know, work Great. our way backwards. Yeah. Okay. So my idea, which is not in one of those six editorials, but I've been trying to talk about it some, um, is that, um, that another thing that Congress can do is that Congress can take away some or all of the Supreme court's uh, jurisdiction to hear certain kinds of cases. So Congress could pass a law for instance, and I think they should, um, that would say, well, um, if there's ever a case in any court, about uh, voting rights, or about electoral districting, or about counting of ballots, um, uh, or about abortion for that matter, um, and that case gets decided in any court, um, it can't be appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court just doesn't have jurisdiction to take that kind of case. So it just stops at the lower courts. And that is definitely within Congress's power. There's a clause in the U.S. Constitution called the Exceptions Clause. It's in Article Three, and it says that the Supreme Court of the United States has appellate jurisdiction, which means it can take appeals um, in all cases that involve federal law, uh, with such exceptions as Congress from time to time may legislate. So it's very clear that Congress can legislate exceptions to the Supreme Court's appellate jurisdiction. And I think that's the best way to do it, just to to identify certain categories of, of, of cases that this very corrupt, very partisan court that we have now simply cannot be trusted to decide and just remove those cases, those categories of cases from the Supreme court's jurisdiction, uh, and let them end at the lower courts. Is that what's argued in this
1: uh, one opinion piece? Don't let the court choose its cases, or is that a different argument? Melody Wang, Yale law yeah, student. It's,
0: right. Yeah. So yeah. she, um, she uh, has, it's, it's related, but not identical. So mm-hmm. what Melody Wang is talking about is a, is a different aspect of the court's jurisdiction. So, my argument was that Congress should use the exceptions clause and remove certain categories of cases from the court's jurisdiction. Oh, okay. She's arguing almost the flip side of that. She's saying right now, um, Congress has legislated to give the Supreme Court the, the, the power mostly to pick which cases it takes, right? So a thousand cases get appealed to the Supreme Court every year. And under the current law, the Supreme Court could pick the 70 or 80 that it wants to hear and hear those cases and just tell the, the other 920, well, we're not gonna hear those cases. Um, she's saying that Congress should change that law and make the Supreme Court hear many, many more cases of all different kinds, rather than letting them cherry pick the kinds of cases they wanna hear. Um, I don't have a problem with that, but I, I don't think it attacks the, the issue as directly as how I would attack it. You know, I would attack it by, by identifying the types of cases that this court should not be allowed to hear and then just directly saying they can't hear those cases.
1: So I think, what is it called? The mother court? Uh, The uh, is that the first federal layer of judiciary before the Supreme Court?
0: (laughs) I hadn't heard the phrase Uh, mother court, but there's there's two levels below it. Generally, Um, there's there's some other exceptions to this, but that generally cases could start in a trial court that's called the United States District Court. And there's United States District Courts in every city, in every state. um, And then they get appealed to an appeals court called the United States Circuit Court of Appeals. And there's 12 of those around the country. Um, uh, So where you are there in in New Jersey, um, New Jersey's within the Third Circuit. The Third Circuit Court of Appeals sits in Philadelphia. So all the cases that are tried in federal district court in New Jersey, um, which might be in Newark or in Trenton, um, then they can be appealed to the appeals court in Philadelphia, the Circuit Court of Appeals. And then from there to the US Supreme Court. Um, and also cases can come up, come up through state courts and go to the U.S. Supreme Court or from some specialized courts. There's a few specialized courts like the tax court and things like that, that um, cases can also come up to the, to the U.S. Supreme Court.
1: You're listening to Aerial View on TheHoundNYC.com. And my guest is uh, Professor Ken Katkin of the Chase College of Law at uh, Northern Kentucky University. And, you know, I was thinking of this book. I interviewed this guy a few years back who wrote a book called The Mother Court about— The um, Southern District of New York court and the uh, it's that's an interesting court. It's an interesting court because of Donald Trump's all up and involved in it. You know, they're trying all these cases. Um, And and there is talk about whether or not Joe Biden is going to allow a prosecution of a president after he leaves office. There's still this whole idea of not prosecuting a president while in office, but the gloves can come off uh, after and we know that biden uh you know he's he hasn't committed one way or another to what he may do about the supreme court he he, he's been pressed at debates they've been asking him about whether or not he's going to pack the court it's uh, going back to 1937 you and i have talked about this before franklin delano roosevelt was getting very frustrated with his new deal legislation that he couldn't get through because of the composition of the supreme court he
0: wanted to add what, three more justices? How many uh, more? Uh, six more, actually. I wanted to more. take it from nine to 15. Cool. Yeah. And he expressly linked it to their ages. He said Roosevelt, Roosevelt didn't say any specific number. He just said he feels really sorry for all the. Where'd you go? Ken? Ken. 70. Oh, in order to help them have less work to do he'll give them an extra justice um uh, so since there were at that time six that were over the age of 70 that would have meant six extra justices but they wouldn't have really helped the uh, the, the six old guys
1: yeah it was pretty bold right i mean yeah, yeah. They, they saw through that and that's where the phrase packing the court came from and then you know fdr was saved by uh World War II essentially World War 2 came, came along and he pretty much got whatever the hell he wanted at that point. So uh yeah, it's and now it's interesting because I wish during those debates just once, and maybe you wish this too, that Joe Biden would have turned to Donald Trump and said well, you guys have been stacking the courts for how long yeah. now? I mean, we, you're talking about us packing the courts, but you've been stacking the courts for how long now? Using these ap- approved lists of judges from the Federalist Society that believes in this originalist interpretation of the Constitution, which again and again and again, my understanding is this is not what the founders intended. They didn't, you know, they didn't intend we, for the Constitution we, to we be fact, a we dead, know they didn't dead because- document.
0: Yeah, the, the founders at the, at the U.S. Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, one thing that they were very adamant about was um, they didn't let anybody take any notes. They actually frisked all the um, convention— everybody that was at the Constitutional Convention got frisked on their way out every day to make sure they hadn't taken notes and weren't taking them out. Um, only the, the secretary, James Madison, who was secretary of the convention, was allowed to write down anything, and he agreed to keep a moratorium on it for 50 years. Um, His notes were eventually published 50 years later. But uh, but the point of all that was because they didn't want anyone knowing what was going on inside the convention because they didn't want people to use this so-called method of originalism to interpret anything.
1: Well, is that something that was brought up, discussed? Was that where, where in his notes that were finally released 50 years later, does he talk about this idea of We keep hearing of the Constitution as a living document. Uh, that <laughs> no, the, could...
0: the Constitution is a living document, it, they didn't use that kind of language back then. But what he did talk about was, was that he didn't want, um, they didn't want people to know what was going on inside the convention because they wanted their work to stand for itself. And they wanted, um, they did want the, 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 the framework that they created to be flexible so that it would create a, a government capable of enduring. You know that they they didn't want the Constitution to be such a um, so rigidly interpreted or dogmatically interpreted in light of eighteenth um, uh, century problems um, that it couldn't it couldn't actually do the job that that needed to be done um, over the march of time. so they they did talk about that, but I think the the concept of living constitution or that language really um, is is attributable to Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes who started using that kind of language in the early 20th century. So that, that wasn't really 18th or 19th century language. I'm
1: talking to Ken Katkin. We're talking uh, about the Supreme court, the death of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the replacement of that feminist icon by uh, Amy Coney Island Barrett, who uh, not as far as I can tell a feminist icon. And uh, who knows where no, and I
0: said, Chris, I wanted to say one more thing when you were talking about stacking, which you're absolutely right. You know, just some numbers that a lot of people don't know that I think you know really people should know. So, if you look from from 1972 to the present, um, we've had Republican presidents about half the time and Democratic presidents about half the time, and there've been 19 justices um, uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court since 1972, and 15 of them have been Republicans and four of them have been Democrats. Um, and again, this is during a period of time where Carter was president. Clinton was president for a couple terms, Obama was president for a couple terms. It's, it's not like we had Republican presidents the whole time, but the Republicans had been on this secret stealth mission that people didn't quite realize was going on, just never to let the Democratic nominees get through in the Senate. And also the Republican justices were in on it, so they always would make sure to retire when there was a Republican president, but Democratic justices weren't playing that same game. And so for these for these various reasons, we get 15 out of 19 um, uh, of the last justices being Republican nominees, which is way out of proportion to um, the, any kind of uh, uh, how the Republicans were actually doing in elections. Um, another number I think people should know about that they don't know about is that the, the, the Republicans have in fact filibustered um, every Democratic nominee that they ever could. And as a consequence, no, no Democrat has, has been appointed to the court with fewer than 60 votes. If, if it was possible to filibuster a Democrat, Then the Republicans did filibuster the Democrat. Um, But on the other hand, the the Dems did not do anything like that in reverse. So today, of, of the now six Republican justices that we have on the Supreme Court, only one of them, John Roberts, got more than 60 votes. And all the rest of them got fewer than 60 votes, which means that if the Dems had just been playing the game the same way the Republicans were, the rest of them wouldn't have even been on the court. They didn't have enough votes to break a filibuster.
1: It, you know, it really, that's the thing that is very disheartening is that Democrats don't wield power the way Republicans do, ruthlessly. And that's, you know, I mean, no pun intended, but there's your pun. They are yeah. ruthless about the way they go about solidifying a minority grasp on power. Republican policies and Republican legislation, Republican laws, whatever you want to call them, the Republican party platform which they didn't even bother to create one this year right they just put 2016's platform in place they crossed out 16 and wrote in 20 they are yeah. they're all, the consistently when they do polling are are less popular with majority of americans
0: than oh, yeah. democratic Another example policies. that I'll keep. i heard you talking about wisconsin and, and green bay before before we started talking but you know in wisconsin the the where there is a democratic governor um there's a Republican legislature and they have a supermajority, which means they can override the governor's veto. Um, but actually, more people in Wisconsin voted for Democrats in the legislature. And, and, and not only did, did the Republicans wind up with a majority, they wound up with a, um, a supermajority purely because of gerrymandering, even though um, all of the Republican candidates collectively got fewer votes in Wisconsin for state legislature than all of the Democratic candidates collectively. It's funny because I, I wonder, I, you know, like
1: the thing about the norm busting president that we have now, we hear all the time about the norms and how he you know, he just doesn't he just does what he wants. He doesn't care about norms. Um, but was that the the Democrats fatal flaw is that they believed in the honor of the other party somehow? They believed they would be above board. They thought they would honor norms. They thought that, you know, there's a tradition and tradition dictates that we do this, this, and this. And they were all like, no, we just want to have power so that we can wield power and we can make sure that the government acts and looks the way we want it to act and look and society acts and looks the way we want it to look. We're not interested in democracy. We're interested in power. And and that is whatever that means. Maybe it's the 2% that fifty cent was talking about from thirty seven to thirty nine percent makes him more powerful I don't know just this idea of this grip on power and this is why I want to talk to you because it all all roads lead back to the Supreme Court now because the Supreme Court is whatever originalists might say an activist court constantly. Oh, yeah. Um, shooting down legislation that's been in place for a long time, declaring it's no longer necessary, like various parts of the Voting Rights Act, which is why now we're talking about armed conflict this year at the polling places. I mean, it's going to be interesting on Tuesday. People will get shot. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say people are going to get shot because it's America and guns, and we all hate the other side. Everybody hates the other side and thinks they're evil. So there will be shootings, I predict. I don't want to see it happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But let's talk about what we do. What what Biden does if he wins? Because I feel like some of these ideas between your seventh idea and these other six ideas, what's the aggregate number of things you would do? Like how many different ways can this balance be put back in? And and we can try to right this ship and save our democracy. The risk of sounding too dramatic yeah. about this. That's what I feel like is online, because right. even if Biden wins and even if the Senate becomes a majority Democratic, things could still go completely awry with six Republican justices and three Democratic ones. And when I say six Republican, I mean, ideologically Republican who were going to vote the party line yeah. like Brett Kavanaugh, we now know, is a hack. He's a complete yeah.
0: Part they're of they're hack. hacks. they're all hacks well you know, I, I think the, the only one of them who's not a hack is is roberts and roberts is very very conservative i think he has a little more integrity than the other five but uh but he's still very very conservative and the other five are i mean the, these voting cases they've been deciding in the last two weeks where they're just trying to stop every any vote any vote that they can stop from being counted they're trying to stop from being counted and they're not even writing opinions in these cases it's just outrageous. And and these are cases um, generally that are being decided by state courts under state law. And it's I don't even think the U.S. Supreme Court has jurisdiction over these cases. And and yet they're taking the cases and, and coming up with all these rulings to make sure that all kinds of votes won't be counted.
1: Let's see who we're talking about, because you mentioned Roberts, but uh, Clarence Thomas is in there. Uh, yeah. Is Neil Gorsuch still around? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's still around. Yeah. You got Brett Kavanaugh, right? Yep. Uh, you got uh, now. You got Amy Coney Island Barrett. Yeah. That's five. And oh, you're my... forgetting your one homeboy from New Jersey. Oh Jesus. Let me see. Let me let me see if I can jog my memory. Huh? I can't. Who is it? Little Wayne? Who is it? <laughs> it's Samuel Alito. Samuel Alito. He's from New Jersey. All oh, right. Doesn't yeah. he have a coffee or some shit? Didn't he put out a coffee? There's uh, like I don't Alito know coffee that. or something. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, of those, I hate to I ask, but like, so is Kavanaugh slightly worse than the rest of them, do you think? Or is he just about as bad as the rest of them?
0: You know, what's funny about Kavanaugh, I, I, I would say he he had a transformation a bit because of the way his confirmation hearing went. But I would have thought he would have been a little bit more in the Roberts mold before and maybe not as rabid of a hack as, as the others. Um but I think the the experience that he actually had, uh, where he had to kind of go full Trump to get through his his uh, very contentious nomination hearing, um, I think that that radicalized him. So I, I do think he's in, he's a straight up you know Republican Party operative um, who's just purely going by you know how the Republicans want him to decide cases and not by the law at all. But I, I don't know that he would have been that way if he would have had a more normal. Assent to the court. He wasn't always that way on the D.C. circuit, although um, like like Roberts, he was very conservative. But I, I think he I think he maybe had a little bit more integrity in the past, but I think he doesn't have any now. Integrity and schmegrity as I
1: like to say. So, yeah. Didn't he write speaking of opinions? Didn't he write something about how, you know, we can't allow
0: the election results
1: to be flipped, quote unquote?
0: Yeah, after, that's what uh, I'm talking about. After election. That, the, the, yeah. So that was just a separate opinion that he personally wrote, because these election cases that have been coming up so quickly and, and needing quick turnaround, the court has just been deciding them by orders that are only one sentence. You know, so there haven't really been opinions explaining the reasoning. And so they they did um, say, you know, in a few cases, you know, they, like they they just, you know, they, they did it. They had cases from Wisconsin, from from North Carolina, and from Pennsylvania so far. They're about to get one from Minnesota. And so as these cases come up, and they have to make an immediate decision the court will issue like a one sentence order saying what the decision is so they can turn it around quickly. And then the individual justices can, if they want to write something for themselves, they can. And that's just what Kavanaugh did. He wrote, he wrote this absurd opinion, which was just completely filled with errors. He ended up having to correct the things that he said about Vermont cause they were completely wrong. So after he put the opinion out, he made some amendments to it afterwards. Um, but that's basically what he said is that we can't have, um, we have to have all the counting done by, um, election night, like Trump says, and therefore, we can't really count votes that come in uh, any later than Election Day, no matter what, even if a state court said that in their state that's allowed. And and it's, it's outrageous. There's absolutely no federal law behind it, uh, uh, any kind of ruling like that. But he's just putting that out there as his opinion and then treating it as if it's the law. It's just remarkable.
1: It's really it really we're living through remarkable times and. Again, I go back to my question, like, would you aggregate several of these ideas? Would you combine term limits for Supreme Court justices with the idea of uh, taking cases away from them or saying you don't have jurisdiction in this case?
0: You know, I'll tell you, term limits is a perfectly good idea, but I wouldn't pursue it because it, 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 it would require a constitutional amendment. And I would only pursue things that could be done by, by Congress, just by ordinary legislation. Because um, it's very hard to get a constitutional amendment. And the the, the the Constitution that we have gives the Supreme Court justices life tenure unless they're actually impeached. So the, you, you can't really put a term limit on them. Some people have argued that you can as long as what you do is you let them still be federal judges, but you rotate them to a different court. But nothing like that's ever really been tried. And I do think the Supreme Court themselves would rule on that. And they'd probably rule that that's, that's unconstitutional. So I, that's the problem with – term limits is a good idea, but it's not an easy idea to implement because I think it's inconsistent with the what are, constitution what are the, we have right what now. What are the easiest ones? Are there any that could be
1: yeah. done by executive order? Is there, does our set system of checks none, and balances none, none say no? None by executive no. order right. and
0: probably none that could even be done unless the Senate gets rid of the filibuster rule because any of these reform ideas – even if the Dems get 50 or 51 or 52 seats in the Senate, they're not going to get 60. So any of these reform ideas – potentially could be filibustered by the Republicans. But I think it's critical before we talk about anything else that the Dems get rid of the filibuster so they can actually start doing some of these things by ordinary legislation. And I would almost say the second most critical thing once they get rid of the filibuster rule is one of the powers that Congress has, one of the things it can do by ordinary legislation is admit new states into the union. And I would admit DC and Puerto Rico right away. In fact, the the House has already passed a bill to admit DC. Um, You know, I think just to to sort of shore up the Democratic majority in the Senate, among other reasons, um, and make sure that the Republicans can't get that um, thin margin back, you know, put put a few more senators in there from places that are likely to go Democratic for a while. um, I would do that immediately. And then and then once you have the once you have an enlarged Senate with an increased Democratic majority and get rid of the filibuster rule then it's easy to do all these things. Ordinary legislation could strip the um, Supreme Court of appellate jurisdiction over certain kinds of cases. Ordinary legislation could increase the number of judges on the Supreme Court. And I'd like to call that unpacking rather than packing, because I think the Republicans have already packed it. So this would, adding just, justices would really have the effect of unpacking it. Um, and that can be done in the courts of appeals as well. So all the cases are substantially all the important cases that come to the US Supreme Court come through these 12 circuit courts of appeals. And right now the Dems still have control of about five of them, but the Republicans have control of seven of them because they've been filling all those vacancies. And I would also expand the number of judges on those courts of appeals as well so that new judges could be appointed there so that cases wouldn't have to get to the Supreme Court to 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 not to be decided by a court that's not a, filled with republican partisan hacks.
1: Oh my god, I hope <laughs> the Biden administration calls you. But here's here's what yeah.
0: we were ju- we, what we were just talking about is that 153 million Americans
1: are represented essentially by the GOP and 168 million are represented by the Democratic Party. So, uh 15 million more Americans uh and they have less representation in, in the Senate. Yeah. And, yeah. And so uh, if you if you want that said another way, uh, 60 senators representing 12 percent of the U.S. population, essentially. And so it's yeah. it's really out of whack. Oh, yeah. It's in fact, really another unbalanced. number. I'll
0: say that for you one more way. But you're so right about this. So do you remember in 2018, which was just two years ago, it was a it was a Democratic wave year The the Democrats took control of the House um, they gained about 40 seats in the House. It was a major wave election, and you remember—you may remember—that same year, the, the Republicans actually picked up some seats in the Senate. Um, now, what you might not realize, and what a lot of your listeners might not realize, is that the the, the Dems who were running for Senate um, they they won by an even larger margin than the than the Dems who were running for the House. Um, so, even more Americans voted um, for 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 Democrats in Senate races than in House races. Um, but the only reasons that the Republicans were able to pick up seats in the Senate in, in a wave election like that where the Dems got dramatically more votes in both the House elections and the Senate elections is because you got these these six or seven states with nobody in them. You got you know, Idaho and Montana and North Dakota and South Dakota and Wyoming and, and that's already a, a fifth of the Senate.
1: I like to think of those as states white people go to when they never want to see a black person or a Latino yeah. person. It's, those, are, those are those states to me. I mean, nothing against David Letterman. I, I, he probably has <laughs> homes in, all over the goddamn place, Mon, not just Montana. I'm sure he's got a place in New York and a place in California. So, But other people who only live in Montana, it's like that's why they go there. They just yeah. want to see white folks. Idaho, we're looking at you. We're looking at a number of places. But, yeah, it it is deeply undemocratic. And this country is supposed to be the laboratory of democracy. My people, the Greeks, came up with the concept. It's very important to me. I hate to see it get rat-fucked the way it's been rat-fucked lately. By the way, Roger Stone is out of jail, in case I have to remind you. So, things are going to get hairy on Tuesday. Everybody just hang on. Oh, you know,
0: Trump... If Trump loses, just think of all the pardons he's going to be giving out in the next two months while he's a lame duck, too. Well, didn't he pardon everybody already? Who's left a pardon? Uh, I guess Paul Manafort's still pa- in jail. Oh, yeah, Paul uh, Manafort. Stone, Stone got a commutation but not a pardon. Um, he tried to dismiss the charges on Michael Flynn, but the actually the federal judge has not allowed those charges to be dismissed. He's trying to keep that case in there so that if Biden gets elected, he can start prosecuting it again. Um, uh, so there's a the few levels. people like that that Trump can. I think his, he'll pardon himself and his kids and everybody that's ever worked for him, prophylactically. Let um, me just you ask know, you.
1: Uh, I, let me ask you a question before we run out of time. We got about three minutes left on Aerial View here on theHoundNYC.com. Professor Ken Katkin Chase College of Law from Northern Kentucky University at Northern Kentucky University. Do you ever just look, you know, like lean back and and just you're in awe of the corruption? On some level, you have to really be like, oh my god. The corruption is, is just, it's impressive. These guys really do corruption right. They really, <laughs> they got corruption down. I mean, it. right now we're living through this incredibly corrupt time. And you hope that we haven't completely gone down the rabbit hole. But again, I couldn't click on that article that popped up on my phone about his paths to a potential victory on November 3rd. One of them, of course, the Electoral College. So maybe let's spend a minute talking about what could be done about the Electoral College. Does that require amendments to the Constitution? Or is there a way like this pact among states who agree to send the electors that uh, the popular vote gets in their state? I mean, is that a way around a constitutional amendment?
0: Yeah, I think that is the best way if enough states do it. So you're talking about um, the um, Interstate Electoral College Compact where um, large states um, are trying to organize a group of states to agree that um, they'll give their electoral votes to whoever wins the national popular vote. And if the 16 or 17 largest states would do that, then that would in fact um, mean that the the um, popular vote winner would win the election every time. All the other states couldn't outnumber those, those 16 or 17 largest states. So, so far, you know, it hasn't gotten enough um, Really, it hasn't gotten any Republican states to participate. I suppose there's some hope that Texas is gonna turn into a blue state, and then if Texas does turn into a blue state, then maybe it will participate, and uh, then you know that would push it uh, much farther in the direction of, um, of, of having enough votes. But that's, that's, got, that's gotta be an easier way to do it, because if you could only get 16 or 17 states in, you could do that, whereas to amend the Constitution, you'd need to have 38 states. That is a high bar. Yeah,
1: that's a high bar. Do you think the founders were right with that? By the way, do you think that's the right number?
0: Um, to, to thirty-eight for an amendment? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's it depends. This gets back to that originalism thing. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's terrible to have such a high bar to amend the Constitution if you have um, a, a court that understands that the Constitution is a flexible, evolving, living document, right? So if if, if you interpret the Constitution in a way that it leaves Congress with flexibility to legislate, to make changes that need to be made, um, then you don't need to amend the Constitution all the time. But on the other hand, if you have these, these kind of, you know, dogmatic originalists who will say, well, no, you know, everything has to be done exactly the same as it was done in 1787, and if, if there's any, anyone wants any kind of progress at all, you need to go amend the Constitution. Um, Well, yeah, then three quarters is way too high of a bar. But I I think that that it really just depends on what kind of baseline assumptions judges are bringing to the questions of what kind of things can Congress legislate on.
1: Thank you so much for being my guest, Professor Ken Kakken. Let's talk about Trash Flow Radio for just a moment. Where can people find
0: (laughs) Trash Flow Radio? Yeah, I do that radio show on Saturdays. I usually try to, um, you know, play music and and do funny stuff more than talking about politics on, on, on that show. Tomorrow, I'm actually trying to decide, though. Should I do Halloween songs or should I do election songs?
1: I think, uh, you know, a melange, as the French would say.
0: Yeah. So where can people find it? Oh, um, so I'm on a radio station here in Cincinnati called WAIF 88.3 FM. So I'm on the FM, but it also streams um, through wave 88.3.org. Um, and there's also um, a Trash Flow Radio Facebook page and a Trash Flow Radio blog spot. Um, that have archives, if people want to listen to archives. Ken
1: Kacken, you're my f- favorite <laughs> constitutional professor to speak with. I do appreciate it. Happy Halloween. Let's hang on, baby, to what we got and hope that we can win this thing. Hound Howls every Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, and then crashing the Party, do up Chop Shop on the air at 5 p.m. Eastern. This has been Aerial View. We're playing on Tuesday at 6 p.m. And becomes a podcast somewhere between the... Thank mm-hmm. you.